I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Episode 7 of A-Ball with Eric Ose. I am Eric Ose, and it is good to have you with us as we have Sean Reynolds joining us on this episode, one of the Lumber King's big power bats and sluggers who was kind enough to take some time while the team was out on the road in Bowling Green. It was the longest road trip of the season for the Lumber Kings, and as we record this on May the 13th, it's still going on. We're in Burlington now. It's going to be a three-city, nine-day road trip. Now, when we talked with Sean, it was out in Bowling Green, Kentucky, so the longest road trip in both miles traveled and in games played. Had a league-wide off day for Mother's Day on Sunday, May 12th, but that was really just a, a sleep day because the bus, it didn't roll in until about 7 o'clock in the morning after the bus had left around 11 o'clock at night in Bowling Green. So I imagine for everyone, it was straight to bed, and then you wake up and you get right back on the bus down here to Burlington. So it has been a grind, so to speak, as you would expect, but this was part of the schedule where we all knew it was coming. And the series and road trip that got started for the Lumber Kings, it was not a good one. They dropped two out of three out in Dayton. They then followed that up with losing two out of three to the Bowling Green Hot Rods, a very good team in the Bowling Green Hot Rods, a team that has gone on to a 21-15 and record after taking two out of three from the Lumber Kings, the single-A affiliate of the Tampa Bay Rays are the hot rods and the lumber kings in that time have seen their average or seen their record slip down to a 500 mark and that's for the first time since april and it was a six and six record the last time the lumber kings were at the 500 mark you'd have to go all the way back to april 17th so it had been quite a while and the lumber kings losing their first consecutive series of the 2019 season including that series loss to the dayton dragons which we have heard many times from many players. We'll even talk with Sean Reynolds about this a little bit, but a phenomenal ballpark. It's a AAA caliber facility. They sell out every night, and when the Lumber Kings were there on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, you might think, well, that wouldn't be the case. Well, for Dayton, they sell out every night. It's been going on for over a decade now. They've been having that park for 20 years out in Dayton, and they took two out of three from the Lumber Kings. In spite of, you could really make the argument, the Lumber Kings outplaying them. As it stands right now, one of the quirks to the Lumber Kings is a team that where something has to give because as we mentioned a 500 mark as you record this on Monday May 13th 17 and 17 on this season that's in fourth place as 
they get set for the Burlington Bees, a team in the wild card race. They're currently three and a half games back or four games back of them for that playoff spot. But the record, if you just look into the numbers a little bit closer, you'd think the team would be a lot better. If you ever go to baseball reference, they've got the Pythagorean theorem of baseball, and they have that at the minor leagues as well. And so if you look at the Lumber Kings run differential, which is as it stands right now, 142 runs scored to 124 runs allowed, a run differential of 18. That would translate typically to a far better record. Pythagorean theorem would tell you a 19 and 15 team is what you're looking at in the Lumber Kings, but that is not the case here. So looking for something a little bit more to give, but as of late, it's just been a lack of offense and Lumber Kings issues and getting guys in with less than two out has really been the primary concern, but we did have a very scary moment We've talked about it on the broadcast several times. We've also talked about it numerous times here on the podcast. Well, because we had the guy on our show, Gerard Encarnacion, who has really set the theme and tone for the Lumber Kings offensively this year. He missed his first game of the season in that finale in Bowling Green on Saturday night. Now, in finding out what had happened to Gerard, it was an injury that had taken place the night before after he had slid in at the plate and looked like he had hurt his left foot slash ankle and it had swollen up a little bit. They then took him out of the game the next day after Gerard thought he could play on it. He grounded out to third. He was out of the game right after that in the first inning. We did not see him then on Saturday. And so for Encarnacion, hopefully that league-wide off day on Sunday, helping the swelling and just the foot feeling a little bit better after talking with him. He did mention that he's feeling a lot better. He's also walking a lot better around the clubhouse and hoping that just a couple of days off are able to really alleviate one of the Lumber Kings' biggest bats of the season. What it had meant, though, for the Lumber Kings was the insertion of Demetrius Sims into the three-roll. So as we give you the full report card down here on the farm for the Marlins single-A affiliate, the Clinton Lumber Kings, we have to talk about Demetrius Sims. He has been red hot as of late. He had been activated from the injured list back on April the 28th when the team was out in Davenport at Modern Woodman Park. That's the single-A affiliate for the Houston Astros. And he has been on a tear ever since. In that time, he's gone 13 for 40. That's a 325 average. And then if you look at his last five games, just that he's played, he is 7 for 15, which is a 467 mark. And why Sims has got himself an average that is now over the 300 mark for this season. He had a three-hit night on the first night out in Bowling Green, which was on Thursday night. Then he came back in the series finale and had a couple of hits as well. So Sims, no matter where you put him, as the team gets a little bit healthier in spite of the hopefully day-to-day injury of Gerard Encarnacion, but the activation of Christopher Torres, it is meant for a far more balanced offense and allowing Sims to be in the three spot like he was on Saturday night. He has been in the six spot since Torres has been activated, and before Torres was activated from the injured list, Sims was the two-hitter, which is where Sim or where Torres has typically been for much of this season. So the Lumber Kings having another weapon there. Now, as we talk here with Sean Reynolds, this is a bat that we had mentioned a couple of times that had really been heating up as of late, and it was the case again. Lumber Kings' first baseman who has all the power that you will see, and Sean Reynolds, he's a pretty talkative guy too, a very mature first baseman for the Lumber Kings, so it's always good to talking with him, but he's coming off a a very impressive series against Bowling Green as well. Had a couple of doubles in the series finale. Fortunately for the Lumber Kings, that was just about it offensively for them between Reynolds and Sims. It was much of the offense against a pitching staff that the Lumber Kings had found out in the Bowling Green Hot Rods 
is very talented. It's why the strikeouts again began to pile up, and the offense just kind of went quiet for much of that series. They were able to benefit from a very strong Chris Valamont start on Thursday to pick up his second straight win, and the only win of the series. They won that game 5-2, to two, and Marcos Rivera hit a home run in the ninth. But then after that, the Lumber Kings offense it just went away, and the strikeout 16 of them the following night on Friday in Bowling Green. They would score only two runs in that contest and fall 3-2 to two, despite a late come-from-behind effort to tie it. And then in the finale against the Hot Rods on Saturday night, the Lumber Kings would see themselves score just the one run, which came with the bases loaded and a walk worked by Ricardo Cespedes. They would fall in that contest. 2-1. to one. So the pitching for the Lumber Kings, it has been strong again, but it's just a question of getting the offense to find some productive outs or just to hit with runners in scoring position because when it has stalled, it has usually come with men on base. And that's why they come in with a 17-17 and record to take on at the Burlington Bees. That's the single-A affiliate for the Los Angeles Angels for the first time in the 2019 season. This will be a three-game series that will then wind down the longest road trip of the season. Appreciate Sean Reynolds taking some time. Talk with us. He'll be joining us next on A-Ball here with Eric Oss. And welcome back here on A-Ball. We are now joined by Sean Reynolds. Thanks for taking the time as we record this here in Bowling Green, Kentucky. Thanks for taking the time and coming on board with us here, Sean. No worries. Thanks for having me. Well, I guess let's just pick your brain on what has been a really interesting road trip for the Lumber Kings because these cathedrals that we talked about a little bit before on the walk up here to the press box, a lot of fun to play in front of. Mike Jacobs had mentioned yesterday to us that it was a really cool experience to see you guys out in Dayton play in front of sellout crowds on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday nights in Dayton, Ohio. What was that experience like for you? Oh, man. Um, in terms of my minor league experience so far in my career, that was that was at the top of the list, man. Um, I've never seen anything like that, especially, you know, you go on a road trip and you're thinking maybe if you luck out and you get a weekend series that you might get some fans on the in, during the games and – Dayton does it right, man. I mean, eight, eight, nine thousand people, three nights in a row, um, with this the quality of the stadium too, and you know how much it feels like a big league atmosphere with the stuff they do before the game, with like the hometown heroes, and then they you know honor different people throughout the game, um, all kinds of fun promos in between innings. It was cool, man. It was definitely uh, definitely a fun experience, and you know one I wish I wish we could go back there more often, but. It was cool to experience for sure. We did have one critique though. The horn was too loud, right? That, and too often. Yeah, the horn yeah. was uh well too often was the main thing. Yes. Um too <laughs> often was the home run horn uh being being sounded off. But um you know, it was it was all part of it. I'm sure if I was playing on the other side, if I was in a dragons uniform that I would love every second of it. But as the as the opposing team you never want to hear it uh, as many times as we did, especially in a three game series like that. Yeah, unfortunately, that home run horn was heard four times for the Lumber Kings in game one. I guess five if you count the win, because that's also how they had done it. It ruined one of our interviews because we were talking before the, the game had started. I think it was on night two, and we didn't know that the horn would go off for the gates opening, and of course it had sabotaged, and that's what we're all going to talk about on this episode here with Sean Reynolds. What's up with the horn? Just kidding, of course. Well, Sean, you were taken in the fourth round, and I was wondering if you could just take us through that experience because it's always unique to everyone, right? And you're a high-round pick. Oh, yeah. So 
what was that moment like? And I just take us through, I imagine, what was a special moment, not just for you, but family and friends and, and all that that comes with it. Oh, yeah, man. Um, really, that whole that whole first week of, of June in 2016 was kind of a kind of a wild one for me. We had our uh, our little like it wasn't state championship, but it was our our southern section because California is so big. It's um, I know you're from San Diego. You're kind of aware of the CIF thing yeah. that they do. Um, we had our southern section championship game on the fourth. Uh, we won that. Um, then it was, I think our senior prom was that same night, so we had to like bust it out to the game. We ended up winning, thankfully. You know, rushed back, did the prom. Um, then we had like all of our senior events, our graduation, like pre ceremonies, and then uh, it was like our like last day of school for seniors was the eighth, and then you know June 9th was the draft, and then June tenth was the day that I was taken. So we were sitting at uh, our senior breakfast or whatever it was. I can't even remember now. It feels like forever ago. <laughs> well, it uh, seems like a blur too. A lot yeah. Going on. I mean, I'm sitting there. I didn't even eat. Um, cause the morning I was just had my phone in my hand probably for four hours in a row, just from the time I woke up to the time it finally rang, but I didn't, couldn't eat anything. Um, ended up just, uh, going back to my house and hanging out with my mom and dad. And then a couple of my buddies came over. Um, but it was cool, man. It it was uh it was a really good feeling. Just you know, the all the excitement and the uncertainty that leads up to that to finally hear your name called and know that you know obviously I knew I was going at that point because you know you call before and you talk to the team and you talk to you know your agent your advisor and um you agree to what they're talking about before they go ahead and take you and you know I knew I was going and to finally hear my name called and have it official was definitely something I'll never forget because that's. You know, that's the that's the moment you work your whole life for leading up to that point as an amateur. And when you were going into that moment, was there any doubt? I know you'd talked to him before and essentially said that you were going to be signing, but even maybe the buildup, was there any thought about going into the college ranks or were you committed to a, a pro career right out of high school? Um, You know, it was, uh, it was something that I really tried to not think about too much. And at, yeah, at the outset, when I started getting interest from teams when I was, uh, when I was a senior, it was like January of my senior year, I was kind of thinking like, you know, that'd be cool, but... I'm just happy I got somewhere to go to college and play ball because that's really all I cared about at the time leading up to uh, my season. And then the more our season went on and the better a year I started having, I was like, okay, yeah, maybe this is like, you know, maybe I'm kind of climbing the, the board a little bit and maybe this is actually a possibility. And then by the time it came down to the day, I was like, well, if this could actually happen, then obviously, you know, why not, why not start it now? Cause that's, going to college and you know it's the college experience is what it is and I'm sure you know you talk to anybody that went to college they wouldn't trade it for anything and I'm sure if I was this is my first year out of college ball then I would say the same thing but you know to me the way I looked at it is it was a stepping stone for to get here and you know if you can jump the gun and and start out three years earlier then you know in my opinion that was like kind of a why not type thing you might as well do it because that's where I want to end up anyways yeah, and, and you are able then, I guess, to start the development process right away, coming right out of high school, and you coming off a great season at the New York Penn League, too. We talk about it all the time. You know, you're leading the league in home runs and RBIs, and what was that season like going in, and where did you feel like you measured up on the goals at the end of the season? Um, I mean, for me, that was, you know, 17 home runs and however many RBIs yeah. I had was, you know, that's obviously as yeah, – 52. As, yeah, that's, that's <laughs> obviously as good as you can hope to do right. in a short season. Um, 
yeah, man. Honestly, I didn't really have any have any uh, crazy, you know, out there expectations for myself. I kind of didn't have uh, didn't have the best spring training or extended spring training. You know, those three months that lead up to a short season. I was kind of kind of figuring some stuff out. Still struggling a little bit just to just to kind of find the swing that I knew that I could have. And then um, once I got into you know playing real baseball, as they say, because extended and you know spring training games on the backfields are. It's baseball, but it's you know doesn't feel like it almost. And once you get once you get under the lights and start playing again, it kind of all came back to me. Um, so that was fun, man. It was a good group of guys, and we just had a good time because Batavia is you know is what it is, and <laughs> you just got to make the best out of a out of sometimes a subpar situation, and that's pretty much the whole minor leagues, honestly. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's I, not always going to be pretty. You know, as much as I wish we could play in Bowling Green and Dayton all the time, it's can't do it so it's it's just what it is and uh you know the season was fun man it was a good time and um you know same thing so far here yeah but, and you had uh mike jacobs out there when we had uh him on the show he was mentioning your numbers and saying if you then expand that over a, a full season which you're doing here in, in clinton 140 games or 139 after the flood out down in davenport but that that's when you really get into scary number totals those video game number totals that you talk about and it seemed like a pretty close relationship between yourself and mike jacobs that must be pretty nice too and having that familiarity coming over here to your full season with the lumber kings yeah um you know i've talked about that before uh uh, the the bond that Jake and I have kind of developed um, since I met him back in 2017. And, you know, I've said it before and I'll continue to say it, um, that the value of that really can't be overstated for um, just for me personally. You know, you can ask anybody in there and they they take a bullet for Jake because that's the kind of manager he is and he cares about all the guys and, you know, he doesn't uh, he doesn't sugarcoat it. And he'll be as real as you want with him, but you know he's also he's right there in it with us. You know he thinks like a player, and he's not far out of playing himself. And um, just the way he handles everything, and how he goes about his business, and how he expects us to go about our business is everything you could want from a manager. Yeah, I, I, we've heard it from the really the entire coaching staff here for the Lumber Kings. Also, hitting coach uh, Frank Moore and the pitching coach. I know you don't really hang out a, a little too much because it's different departments, but Mark DeFelice as well. Well, we had some fun with you when we were out in Dayton just talking about the analytical side of things when it comes to the track man, the radar, because, I mean, when Sean Reynolds gets a hold of one, folks, it's the first thing you want to look to is track man. How far did it go? How hard was it hit? And because for the longest time, I remember as a kid in the 90s during the great home run races of McGuire and Sosa, there were 500-foot home runs hit every yeah. day because there was a manager who would just say, oh, that's 500 feet, and yeah. you just put it on the board. And then they attached math to it, and the 500-foot home run has really gone the way of the dodo bird. And then we see a home run from you out in Clinton, which wasn't 500 feet, but you would have convinced several people, I think, in the 90s that it was. I think yeah. it was 456 feet. And then the next day, another home run, an exit velocity of 113 miles per hour. I, I know that you'd mentioned that it doesn't really factor into what you think about, but that's got to be in the cool factor, right? Because when you get a hold of one, are you ever interested to just see, like, all right, what was the, the exit velo on that? Because that felt really good. Oh, of course. I mean, you know, it's it's fun to look at after the fact. Um, you know, it's it's something something funny to joke about after the game and, like, oh, you know, that was that was 100 and whatever, 111, 110. Um, but, yeah, man, like you said, I'm – in terms of my preparation, that's really not what I think about. Um, just because of the way my swing works and the way that I'm able to hit the ball, I just know that, like, just got to make solid contact and the numbers will be there. And if I think about, you know, trying to create launch angle or 
create you know more bat speed than I already have, then it never really never really goes well. I think last night I came off the bench in the ninth inning pretty cold, and I was you know we were down by one run, and I was pretty much in the game to try and do one thing, and you know I was like admittedly got a little got a little overexcited, and as soon as I try and swing too hard, then never ends up going my way. So that's just something that um, the numbers are all well and good to, to mess around with and be able to look at afterwards, you know. But if I think about any of that before I go up to the plate or before I play the game, it's never goes my way. So it just has to be hit the ball hard and let it let it go how it goes. Well, we've seen you at times kind of outthink the defense because every time you come up, there's an overshift on, right? Mm-hmm. There's going to be three and four infielders, it seems like, sometimes on the right side. And it was, I think, out in uh, Davenport, which is a rare commodity because it's the only games that have been played down there at Modern Women Park. We saw you drop a bunt down, and, and you're a pretty quick guy for six foot seven. So that is obviously a thought that you will uh, drop a bunt down. I think David Ortiz one time dropped a, a bunt double down the line yeah. at third because they just given them that entire side yeah. of the field so obviously that's part of the game as well and I was wondering if you could talk to us about that because that just shows I guess the chess match that's being played right in that moment with the defense shifting and then you literally taking the uh or playing by those words of I'll take what the defense is giving me like you did the other day out in Davenport yeah I mean you have to man especially if it's you know if I'm leading off an inning late in the game it's close we're up by one we're down by one um it's selfish of me not to at least try and get on for, for the guys behind me because, you know, as much power as I have and, you know, I know I have the capability of tying a game or giving us the lead with one swing, it's – our lineup is, in my opinion, as good as anybody's in this entire league and there are just as good of hitters behind me and in front of me. So um, it's just something that if I can do it, I might as well do it because if I don't, then, you know, to me that's just being a selfish hitter and that's not what I'm about. Um, but yeah, I mean, like you said, if that whole side's open, it's really, you really just have to get it down. There's not really much complication to it. It's, you have to just let the ball hit the bat and get it semi past the pitcher's mound. And I could basically walk to first base. It's got to be rewarding too, right? To after that, to just see them maybe kick pebbles a little bit like, okay, well, there's just a hit. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, and sometimes if it's, uh, if it's a question of an early game at bat and I can, I can drop one down and maybe for the rest of the game, they won't really necessarily overshift that hard um if I can open up the field just a little bit then you know that's also a huge advantage well we had you out at our first community outing of the season which was out in uh, Comanche it was at a elementary school and everyone was a big hit you were with uh, Jonesy that's Thomas Jones uh, Bubba Hollins as well and and, uh, it seemed like a a big hit for all the kids there and when we were first getting to know you told us that if you weren't in baseball, you'd be a high school teacher. So maybe you were fit writing, fit, fitting yeah. right in with those kids. But what, what was what subject would you be teaching then if uh, you were teaching in high school? Oh man, um, I've always been a huge history guy. I was okay. never into never into math very much. Um, you know, probably probably not my strongest subject in school. Um, very into writing uh, as much as sometimes in high school. I hated doing it. Um, always had a, always had an affinity for history and writing and English classes for whatever reason. That's just how I've always been. Um, so if I had to pick, you know, probably somewhere between the eighth grade to 11th grade U S world history range, something like that. I don't know, man, I really haven't thought about it in a while, (laughs) but I remember when I was about 16, I was like, yeah, I can see myself doing this. And then obviously plans change and 
Yeah. Lucky I don't have to worry about that for at least a, <laughs> as long as possible now. <laughs> exactly, as long as possible. And, and, again, thanks for doing that. It seemed like, again, a, a bunch of kids that became Lumber Kings fans. You were leading the charge in uh, Go Lumber Kings. So, like I said, it seemed like you were a part of the faculty and staff out at Comanche Elementary School. Oh, of <laughs> well, course. <laughs> we mentioned, uh, too, uh, right, a guy that has really bounced around a lot, right? You've called a lot of places home, and we're wondering if you could take us through all those because you were telling me an interesting story of baseball coming full circle for you in a certain degree as well yeah um let's see I grew up uh for the better part of my you know up to about the time I was 10 or 11 in Missoula Montana and uh that place is awesome man I you know for three months out of the year it's probably the best place that I've ever called home just in terms of weather and I'm a big outdoors guy you know having grown up in Montana I was always into camping and backpacking and mountain biking and hiking and all that stuff um but for those other nine months out of the year, that's just – it's just pure misery, man. It's yeah. gray <laughs> and cold and rainy, and you never want to go outside. So that was – that played a factor into us. Uh, ended up moving away and actually moved from there to Jupiter, uh, Florida, which, you know, like you said, funny enough, is where our spring training is located. And when I was, you know, 12, 13, I used to play um, – used to play, I think, again, something like that, maybe junior little league um, – on those backfields at the quad. So we would play there all the time, which was really funny to me when I got drafted. I didn't even think about it until I was, like, getting ready to go on the plane. I was like, wow, you know, I'm going back to – Where it same, all started, yeah, kind same of, yeah. place <laughs> I used to play when I was just becoming a teenager. So that was kind of funny. Um, and then, obviously, uh, going into eighth grade, moved out to California. My dad got a job at uh, Los Angeles International Airport. Um, and that was, you know, that was where I called home and where I still call home. Um, you know, that's probably the longest going on eight years now, the longest I've lived in one place continuously growing up. So that, uh, Redondo is, uh, is where I call home and that's where I have, you know, all my buddies from high school and whatnot. So was it always baseball for you? Because again, I mean, you're six foot seven, so you'd think basketball, right? Of course, I'm sure it's a question you get all all the the time time. and maybe even some high school football coaches would think, all right, we could be doing something with this guy here, but were there any other sports or was it mainly just baseball growing up? Um, internally, I always knew it was baseball. Uh, just, it's always been my favorite sport for whatever reason. I, my mom and dad have told me for ever that I've you know, I picked up a bat one time when I was two or three years old and just started swinging it left-handed, and then that was pretty much end of story. But you know, I I dabbled with a few uh, with a few seasons in basketball, and funny enough, is people have a hard time believing that I was really never super tall. I was tall for my age, obviously, but my freshman year of high school, I was about five ten and a half. Wow! And, so you had a growth spurt. When was that? Yeah. So then sophomore year, I. Uh, was about pushing six foot, maybe six foot and a half, six one, going into my first day of school sophomore year. Fast forward a year, first day of school, junior year, high school, I was about six five and a half. So wow. that's about you're looking at like six and a half <laughs> inches in one year. And that was tough, man. Um obviously when you grow that tall, that fast, the the muscle growth usually doesn't come with it. So okay. I was So you were lanky then? As, I was as tall and as skinny as you could possibly be <laughs> as uh, I was about six, five, six, six, like 190 pounds. Wow. And it was, it was tough, man. I, uh, obviously, you know, had, took a hard time from a lot of my buddies just because it was like, had to relearn how to use my whole body because my legs were so long. My arms were so long. I really didn't know, you know, 
muscles really haven't developed yet. I was barely going on 17 and I really didn't know how to use all that length and size that I had been given. So, um, by that time I was already, you know, fully invested in baseball. And after that, I mean, never basketball, never really was like, never really thought about it. And our, thankfully our high school basketball team was as good as any high school team in the country. So they didn't need me. They were all set. So I was, I just got to stick with baseball. That's a great story too. And, and explaining too, just having to, to come into your own body. I'm, I'm happy that it has translated too, because this is one of the big sluggers here for the Clint Lumber Kings. Sean Reynolds, thanks so much for taking the time here to talk with us on A-Ball. Yeah, no worries, man. Thank you for having me. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. And welcome back here on A-Ball with Eric Ost. You just heard from the Lumber Kings, really everyday first baseman Sean Reynolds talking about really growing into a big frame. I mean, he's six foot seven, so we did have to ask the basketball question, which I'm sure Sean had seen coming from a mile away. And we appreciate him putting up with us in that instance and also for telling us about what was a pretty interesting transition when you talk about his growth spurts and getting accustomed to that six foot seven frame happy to see that he is now familiar with the longer legs and arms that has resulted in the power and the selection for the Miami Marlins to take him in the fourth round a couple of seasons ago the Lumber Kings with that power bat in an offense that you heard Reynolds talk about is he thinks they're the best in all of the Midwest League he'd put them up against anyone and this is a very talented league that we have talked about Lumber Kings finding that out in their six-game road trip or start of the nine-game road trip with their first six games against the Dayton Dragons and then also against the Bowling Green Hot Rods. But the offense, which has come at times, has been stalling as of late and is why a 17-17 and record they have found themselves in before they begin their series with the Burlington Bees. Again, we record this on Monday, May 13th, here in Burlington, Iowa. Now let's go over some of the pitching numbers, though, for the Lumber Kings before we let you go, a team that has had incredibly strong performances both out of the bullpen and out of the starting rotation. But as of late, it has been big innings. So outside of the Bowling Green series, and we were talking about this with the pitching coach, Mark DeFelice, big innings that have sunk the Lumber Kings. And Dayton, it looked like a, a game in which they had outplayed the Dragons in the finale of that series. Lumber Kings were on top 3 to nothing, kind of cruising, gave up two runs in the third. Still it looked like the starter, in that case Tanner Andrews, was settling down at a 1-2-3-4th inning. And then the big inning came. Seven runs, ten men came up in the fifth inning. That would defeat the Lumber Kings as they would then fall 9-4 to four in that one, or 9-5 to five rather. And then 
the previous contests against the East, which had started out in Clinton, you look at the West Michigan series, the Lumber Kings giving up nine runs in the first game of that series, which was game one of the doubleheader. They then won the second game of the doubleheader, but in the finale with a chance to win the series, they were beaten again by the big inning. Eleven men coming up against them in the fifth inning. They allowed six runs at one point in this series or in this season going into Bowling Green. The Lumber Kings had allowed just about 20% of their runs in innings in which they had allowed five runs or more and was all contributing to losses which over a stretch of 16 games, the Lumber Kings had won only consecutive contests once, and those were the first two series or first two games of a series with the South Bend Cubs back on May the 3rd and May the 4th. Other than that, it was a win one day, a loss the next day, win the next day, lose the next day, and so it was very hard to get anything going, and an example of that would be a start from George Soriano. Now, Soriano, who... We've talked about having a great start to the season, a guy that Mike Jacobs has mentioned several times he's been very impressed with because it's the first time he's played under lights in his professional career, and he was living up to that mantra through the first 17 and two-thirds innings of work of the season. Soriano, zero home runs allowed. Well, then over the next two appearances, Soriano would allow five of them. He allowed two in that monster inning against West Michigan in which they allowed nine runs in that series opener and did not get out of the first inning. He recorded only one out. And then the next start came out in Dayton. He allowed three runs. They were all solo home runs for the Dragons. And the Lumber Kings would eventually fall in that one because of the other big inning when the Dragons would explode for their seven runs in the fifth inning. So home runs that were allowed from Soriano to the Dayton Dragons, which went a long way to what Reynolds and I had referred to as that loud horn being played over and over again. But as Reynolds kept us honest, it was probably something that we were more annoyed with because of it occurring to us as opposed to being part of the festivities. Well, that was the case for Soriano. He then rebounded against Bowling Green in that final series or final game of the series on Saturday but unfortunately, not backed by a whole lot of offense. George would go five-plus innings, give up just the two runs, six hits. He walked two and struck out three, still got the loss, and is now 0-3 on the season. But overall, for the pitching staff for the Lumber Kings, they're among the top in the Midwest League, a 3.05 earned run average as a team. Now, the ERA for the starters has ballooned a little bit because of those large innings, and that's a 3.5 mark on the season. But you have to be really impressed with the relievers as of late as well, which you just have to give justice to a 2.48 earned run average as a core, a relieving core, and that comes over 130 innings for the Lumber Kings so far on the year. And a, a big guy that we wanted to highlight too was Nathan Alexander because here was someone who really nailed down the Lumber Kings win against the against the Dayton Dragons, which ended up being their only series win of that three-game set out in Dayton. Alexander had come on in the ninth inning, and what was a close game? Because, well, it seems like that's the way the Lumber Kings have played most of their contests, and they needed it. It was their first shutout win of the season. Alexander was a fastball up around the mid-90s, 93-94, had a beautiful curveball that he was working off as a off of as well. It's what Mark DeFelice had highlighted when we had talked to him on a pregame show broadcast out in Bowling Green of how impressive Alexander had looked in that. A 1-2-3 ninth inning. He picked up the save. Two strikeouts as well. A great combination of a, a power fastball and that curveball that the Lumber Kings may be leaning on a little bit more in tight situations. But as we mentioned, the first shutout win of the season for the Lumber Kings. And there have been several opportunities, but they've now played in over 33 games, or 34 games now, on the year. And that is the only one 
Kind of odd to think about as we record this again on May the 13th, but just one of the quirks on how the record has gone for Clinton so far. And we will also be keeping a close eye on Gerard Encarnacion mentioning the foot-slash-ankle swelling that had occurred, and we're hoping that he'll be back in the lineup as he is leading the league and seems like just about everything. And if he's not leading the league, he's among the league leaders in it. So as we record this again on the 13th of May, Carnacion leading the Midwest League when it comes to total bases, and that is a total of 70, RBIs 29, hits 43. He has an OPS of 955. That's the second best in the league. He has six home runs. That's the second best in the league. A 339 batting average, which is the third best in the league. Oh, and also he's got 15 multi-hit games. That's how Gerard Encarnacion has begun the season. So certainly a big part of the Lumber Kings offense that a lot of Marlins fans, Lumber Kings fans out there are hoping that he'll be healthy to continue the 2019 campaign. He's really been not only the everyday right fielder, but everyday three-hitter for the Lumber Kings, and he hits right in front of Sean Reynolds. Also wanted to mention the emergence of Will Banfield as of late. Had him on the podcast a little bit uh, a couple of episodes ago, and Will has been heating up. He had a couple of multi-hit games on this road trip, Lumber Kings catcher, and also serving at times now in the DH role. He had a two-hit night back on it, May the 10th in Bowling Green, or before that had gone with a three-hit performance, which had occurred out in Dayton on the 8th. And so Banfield's average now well over the 200 mark on this season, and it's been coming with some power as well. In the Dayton Dragon series, Will had had six RBIs and was a big part of the offense for the Lumber Kings, including having a two-RBI hit in the first inning of a eventual loss on May the 8th. He then backed it up with another RBI single on the 7th. So Banfield has not only had the hits, he's also had the runs driven in, which have been few and far between as of late. And so Will Banfield will try to carry that into the Burlington series and then on into the Cedar Rapids Colonel series as well, which will occur on May the 16th through the 19th. And now is the part where we shamelessly plug the broadcast. You can listen to all Lumber Kings games if you're in the broadcast range on 100.3 FM WCCI. Or for those of you who listen on the interwebs, you can find us there as well for all of the Lumber Kings action in 2019 at LumberKings.com via the TuneIn Radio app. Get a chance to... Listen to the Lumber Kings take on the Western Division now, as that is all it will be against for the remainder of the first half. A team that is in the playoff race, but struggling as of late and looking to build behind the success of the likes of Sean Reynolds and Will Banfield and Demetrius Sims that have been heating up. The Lumber Kings on the roster move side of things, though, have not really had a whole lot of action outside of Christopher Torres being activated from the injured list and then seeing Sam Castro sent down to extended spring training. It has been a a static lineup since then for the Lumber Kings, but that is a good thing. They're trying to get a little bit healthier and, of course, a little bit healthier for Gerard Encarnacion's sake. The pitching, which has been incredibly sharp as well, certainly deserving a lot better than they have gotten as of late. And you look at the rotation success of George Soriano. We mentioned Chris Valamont as well, who has won his last two starts after not receiving a whole lot of run support through his first five on this season. Also highlighting Nathan Alexander as a new weapon out of the bullpen. And the Lumber Kings have also been seeing 
impressive performances from the likes of Tyler Mitzel and Tyler Jones and just wanted to give you one note too before we let you go and Tyler Jones likely to be moved into the starting role for the Lumber Kings one of the bullpen arms that has been so effective that has an ERA south of two right now and so in the second half in talking with Mark DeFelice he mentioned that Jones will likely be piggybacking in the starts and so we'll now begin to see Jones stretched out through the bullpen so from two innings to three and then eventually going up to four and five so he'll be ready for for the second half and a starting role that will be in piggyback fashion and then also and when he takes the ball by himself. So Tyler Jones, that's the movement on the pitching front for the Lumber Kings. Alex Messi has also been a common arm that has been called on. But right now the big issue, Lumber Kings, they just need some runs. And Sean Reynolds will hopefully be a big part of that. He's been heating up as of late, an average that's now over the 200 mark. Five home runs on this season. That has also included 16 RBIs. And so the Lumber Kings offense that even Reynolds had mentioned he thinks they could go up against anyone in this league, and we've seen flashes of it. It's just a question of the consistency on a nightly basis and a team that is now fighting to climb over the 500 mark at a 17-17 and 17 mark as they meet their bitter rivals, the Burlington Bees. That will do it here for episode number seven of A-Ball with Eric Ghost. I want to thank everyone for listening to this episode. Until next week, we will talk to you then. 